What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. My name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and this is an All of the Above Extra. And, you know, I say this every single time, and some of y'all have heard, have been with us for a long time, so you're probably tired of me explaining this part. But, you know, we, we probably have some new listeners each week, so, you know, got to explain it for them that these Passing Period episodes are the ones that we drop in between our full episodes. It's a video show, All of the Above is, and um, we have super dope guests and all that stuff, and I edit the video, and it takes a while to put that all together because we don't just take the Zoom footage and just throw it out there. Uh, we actually put together, I think, a pretty nice product. Uh, but anyways, that takes some time. So in between those video episodes, we have the passing periods where it's just audio and it's just Jeff and myself and we're able to edit these pretty quickly and get them out there and we use this time to talk about stories or or just things happening in the world of education that maybe we didn't discuss in our most recent full episode so with all that being said Jeff here we are mid-march march madness is underway and of course of course listeners already know the official college basketball team of all of the above are the UCLA Bruins who play in a couple hours and uh, somebody might be listening to this after that game and they might be like, ha, they're already out of there. What are you talking about? But we're just going to stick with the good vibes and just go ahead and assume that this will be a nice positive Saturday for our UCLA Bruins. Um, so yeah, how's your how's your March going, Jeff? How, talk to me. What's up? What's up? What's good with you? Yeah, well, uh, my March is, is going well. I will say my bracket is... Uh precariously hanging right now the uh the iowa hawkeyes let me down i should have known as a minnesota kid the ridiculous iowa hawkeyes would fail us all uh had them going to the final four uh kentucky out of there which i gotta say i'm kind of happy about but i did pick kentucky to get pretty far in the tournament and uh your ucla bruins i feel like i'm down with ucla by association even though i didn't go there i'm i'm like uh yeah, I'm a home. I'm a homie. I'm an institutional for homie. For sure, for uh, sure. Number one public university with, in the uh, world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I work a lot with uh, the um, uh, some of the faculty at uh, UCLA Center X, who yeah. are wonderful, amazing people. Shout out to uh, Anna Marie Francois, recent guest on All the Above. Uh, Nancy Parakini and Tanika Orange at the Principal Leadership Institute, uh, among others. Um, so, uh, yeah, I got UCLA going to the Final Four. I'm not feeling good about that pick right now, Manuel, because I texted you the other night when I picked, when I finally finished work and I turned on the game. <laughs> and I literally was like, yo, what's up with your boy Johnny Juzang, man? Where's man. he at? And uh, his, his one for five uh, in the first half um, had me feeling anxious. So not feeling too great about their chances against St. Mary's today. But, um, you know. Uh, let's let's uh, let's burn some sage. Let's send out a hope and a prayer. Let's let's do something <laughs> for just for the sake of my bracket, Manuel. <laughs> that's that's what uh, that's what matters here, Jeff. Your bracket. That's right. Correct. Do it. Do it for Jeff. UCLA. Do it for <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. All that aside, my march is going well. I uh, I cannot complain. It's crazy that it feels like it's already almost April, and now it just feels like it's already. First of all. It's it's about to be spring in like yeah. a day or something, right? So like, I'm like, wow, that's that's amazing. Time is flying by. So yeah, man, for sure, it is flying by. And yeah, that daylight savings change, and it was like 
warm weather all week over here and spring break is a couple weeks away. Yeah, we are charging ahead, marching through, getting towards, I guess, the end of the school year um, one way or another. And yeah, my my school also, what's new is that we, this was our first week without mandated masks, which was interesting. And I know y'all got that coming up, Jeff. So I think Wednesday is when you're the district that you most closely work with goes mask optional. And um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. Most of my students, all of our staff, I haven't seen any staff member like teach or like be present with other folks and not have their mask on. So all the staff have just kept theirs on, even though they don't necessarily have to. And most of my students, like each day was like one or two more students who went without a mask. But by and large, I only have like two or three kids per class period who are openly just without a mask at this point. So yeah, we'll see what it's like in your in your area. But um, yeah, man, this uh, yeah, this school year, man, I'm just counting down the days. I mean, I love my job and I love teaching. I love all this stuff, but um, I, I am counting down the days. I need summer to be here and this year to be behind us. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we got uh, masks going to strongly encouraged. Uh, apparently is the official policy uh, in LAUSD starting on Wednesday, March 23rd. And um, I most certainly will be rocking the KN95 at least through the rest of this school year. I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not here for the new variants. Uh, so, you know, I, it is what it is, man. We'll see how it goes. I am curious to see, actually how people are going to react. I, I, I honestly kind of don't know what to expect, to expect. I could see a surprising number of people going maskless, you know, and just being like, hey, look, man, I've been rocking this for two years. Like, I'm, I'm done, you know. Right. COVID fatigue or whatever. I could see some families doing the same and being like, look, it's, you know, I'm I just, we're tired. Um I don't agree with that perspective personally as being like the wise thing to do, but um, I could see it. I could also see like what you described, like almost everyone being like, well, I'm not rolling the dice with my kid's health. And yeah, like this is like no one's asking for this as a policy that here, at least that I can see. I know in more conservative parts of the country, people are all, you know, up in arms and sticking spoons to their forehead and talking about the viruses, giving you microchips from Bill Gates and stuff. But, um, I mean, not the virus, the, uh, the vaccine, but, uh, here I kind of feel like everybody was fine, frankly, with the mask mandate. Like it kind of sucks to wear a mask. Yes, for sure. But also it doesn't suck as much as getting COVID. I don't think. <laughs> Correct. So, <laughs> so like, I didn't, I wasn't, like, when I would see people, they weren't like, oh, my God, let me tell you about this mask. I can't wait till we get rid of the mask. You know, it's sort of like everyone's a little uncomfortable with the mask, and it kind of sucks, but we're, like, moving forward with life. So, uh, I, you know, we'll see. We will see. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. I will say I have I have brand new empathy, Manuel, for you and teachers because this past week, or actually two weeks, almost two weeks ago now, we had our first in-person uh, seminar with our principals um, that I oversee, and it was the first time I've had to like essentially teach, right? Like stand before a classroom and present in person. 
with a mask on because normally with these yeah, meetings man. where we have people from 19 schools, we haven't done them in person because the risks have just been like, why risk it, right? Um, and this was the first time we did that. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's 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 hard to, st- <laughs> to teach with that joint on, man. <laughs> man, for real, I mean, it I already had easy. respect, but now I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, this shit is... Di-. I just did it for, you know, half a day and not a full day every day, you know, so... Folks, um, I was about to say hug a teacher, but maybe maybe Wakanda salute a teacher uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who's man. been rocking that mask in front of the classroom for two years now. Yeah, man, it's not easy, not easy, especially like on times where I was like double masking real tight, like when Omicron was like at its peak and I was determined not to catch nothing. Yeah, man, I was feeling like Bane out there from the Batman movies, man. Just out there, just like trying my best to speak through that joint and just like, yeah, man, tough, tough, tough. Well, anyways, um, so yeah, man, uh, we have obviously our super dope guests on our full episodes. And next week coming up, we have a guest that actually takes us way back, Jeff, way back to when we were just brand new into teaching, when we were in our teaching program trying to get our our credentials to be teachers and 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 we were just, we were just babies jeff uh chalkboards uh, like this the class i was student teaching in it was chalkboards still at that time no whiteboards and man the struggle back then man and uh our guest next week dr eric Toshalis. um you know he was he was uh, well, for me, he was the one who actually from the program who like observed my student teaching and, and you know, had his evaluation notes and talked to me about my lesson plans and, and all that stuff. So I, I don't remember what that position was called um, at in our program at the time, but he was basically like the, the faculty um, observer of my student teaching and my growth over time. And Jeff, I think he also co-taught or taught our, our methods class for social sciences. So, so yeah, man, he's back on the show next week, man. Blast from the past. It's been a minute. And that just had us thinking all these thoughts about like, yeah, student teaching, it's been so long and I've learned so much since then. And I think Jeff, um, it might be worthwhile to kind of explore, like, what are some things that we wish we would have learned, um, back then in the good old days in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So, so what are your thoughts, Jeff? Should we, should we talk about it? Should we maybe explore looking back at it and looking back at our career so far? What are some things that we wish we had learned in our student teaching or in, in our teacher education program? Yeah, man, I love it. I, uh, I have thought about this question a, a surprising amount, uh, I would say, over the history of my career because... Um, because uh, I, I, the longer I've gone in education, the more I have felt, honestly, and it's kind of uh, unfortunate to say this in contrast to, um, to Eric, who's wonderful, who's our upcoming guest, but the more I have felt uh, that my own training and preparation as an educator was lacking some, some really important things. And partially this is not the fault at all of our program because it was you know most not maybe not most but many teacher ed programs are very short are like 12 month programs because they have to be cheap you know cuz people aren't going to be making a ton of money when they graduate and they're you know they're they're just under resourced programs in literally every imaginable way um, and so uh, there's only so much you can do in one year's time right 
um, while you're also in many cases dealing with people who are like student teaching and you know essentially like working part time or full time. So you know th this is a larger systemic challenge. That said. I think, Manuel, among the many things that I would probably list in this equation, one that I, I that really stands out to me is I wish I had been much better educated about assessment, um, about like, and I, I don't, um, I mean this in like the, uh, the kind of like technical sense of like understanding assessment as a tool and a set of practices, right? Like how do, so things like, the kind of basic literacy of assessments, like what different types of, of assessment are there? There's, you know, performance assessment and there's, um, you know, computer adaptive assessments, even though we didn't really have those in the modern way when, when we became teachers. But, um, you know, you have uh, norm referenced and criterion referenced assessments. You have different item types that can be used on assessments, you know, that are sort of like free response questions versus your multiple choice questions versus your, you know, kind of essay or performance task kinds of items. Like literacy in how assessments work and what the landscape of assessment is um, in the fullest sense. Uh, and then also how to assess student learning best, right? Like given what you want kids to learn and know and do, what are the ramifications of making certain kinds of choices about how you're going to assess that learning, right? Which I think most teachers approach intuitively. They're like, all right, I want the kids to like talk about the debates at the constitutional convention. So we're gonna like assign kids to be in different roles and like represent them in some kind of classroom debate or whatever, right? And then we'll like score that using some kind of system, right? Or a rubric or something. Um, and maybe we'll pair some writing with that or, you know, th those sorts of things. But there are ramifications when you make different choices about how you're going to assess learning, right? Both in terms of the opportunity to demonstrate mastery that it offers to the kids and also the, the sort of richness, depth, complexity uh, angle and how much of that you are offering to the kids to be able to demonstrate, right? Um, and when you're making choices about like, what things do I wanna give kids like a quick hitting quiz with some multiple choice questions to like see do they have comprehension of this issue, you know, versus things where I wanna spend more time actually like grading student work and giving feedback and giving kids opportunity to revise their work and, um, and those sorts of things. So I, I really wish I had been just better educated about how assessment functions and what kinds of options there are for assessment, what kinds of tools are available to teachers and what kinds of instructional implications there are based on the choices you make about how you're gonna assess something and what kind of feedback or um, information it yields to you about your teaching or to kids about their about their learning. I think that was like almost entirely absent from my teacher ed program and I've had to learn just from reading, going to some workshops over the years and even just from like experience and being like oh this <laughs> this is a ramification of making this kind of choice you know and like maybe I should do this differently next time. So um, there, you know so much of what we're trying to do is like teach kids some stuff and see if they learned it. Assessment is such a huge part of, uh, of the practice of being an educator and such a tiny to non-existent part of, of teacher training, at least that I'm familiar with. Even today, I'm not aware of programs that are doing a robust job 
on that. So that's what stands out to me, man. Well, what, uh, what would you say? Yeah, I'm thinking about your answer. And that's really interesting because I'm thinking back to mostly my first year teaching because I, I think I learned more about the teaching profession and what it is like as a first year teacher than I did in the program. And that's not I, I think that's just the reality of like anything, whether it be teaching or not, like when you're really in it, in it, um, that's where you um, really, really learn when your feet are to the fire. And I'm thinking about what you said about assessment. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think first year me would have benefited from that at all, because first year me was in a school where it was highly expected that like all that we did was geared towards the the state test. The state test was multiple choice history test. Um, basically history trivia, like the questions were just real, like, you know, just basically like Jeopardy type uh, trivia questions around history. And there was pressure to get through the content uh, in time for the test so that when there's a question, random question about the Cold War, like, oh yeah, the kids learned about that. So even if, in, in, I'm just thinking back, like even if our program had done a really great job of uh, teaching us about uh, assessment and all the different ways that um, we could design and, and use and, and, and study better assessments to better meet student needs. Yeah, I think I would have thrown that all out <laughs> during my first year of teaching went under all the pressure that we were in, which included like benchmark tests that were like multiple choice tests that we send into the district. I think I talked about that on a recent episode. So that's sort of, so that has me thinking about like, I suppose maybe something that I wish I would have learned more about would be really just, um, this is going to sound terrible, but like, like how to meet student needs and do it in such a way that like, I don't know, I, I guess, I mean, the word subversion comes to mind, like how to be subversive in the system that wants test scores to rise, that wants students to be able to do these multiple choice tests, like how to really reach and teach students and build them up as a first year teacher without running afoul of the local administration that's like, what's going on with your test scores? How come students aren't performing this and that, whatever? So like, um, it took me many, many years to develop the, what I consider to be like a humanizing lens of students as being so much bigger, so much more than just like the content that I teach and whether or not they learn the content itself. And it really took a while before I got to a place where we were able to do really cool things and really tap into how the content, how the students connect to the content in such a way that like the tests and the test scores were really in the background. Um, I guess I would say I came in with a very, very, well, my first year experience, my first year experience really, really like destroyed all the like hope and optimism that I had for teaching and all that you could do as a teacher. I had great experience, like I had great experiences in the classroom. Those students loved me, I loved them. But at the end of the day, it was all in service to these tests. And it took me so long to unlearn that. It took me so long to like get away from that and to really, see students and see my my place in the classroom as being more than just like the content and you know the actual like historical knowledge and whatever so i guess i wish that the program had done more to help me develop that lens and to develop a, a critical eye towards the education system uh before i was thrown into it and became really an agent of the system uh, for many years. And I don't know what the program could have done. And certainly the conversations that I had um, with some folks in the program, particularly uh, 
Eric, um, Dr. Tashalas, our guest next week. I remember some of those conversations and I remember real like specific guidance from him about like really reaching students and and seeing them as is more than just like you know um folks who need to you know succeed on these tests like i remember he did his part but those conversations were were too small and too few and far between compared to my experience in my first year where like the system was the system in a very big way so so yeah man so i'm thinking about incoming teachers for example and i know that more and more uh, teacher ed programs are infusing, you know, a real critical lens within their design. And, you know, certainly some schools, uh, some programs are uh, specifically gearing up to prepare teachers to like, you know, for example, teach ethnic studies and what have you. And, and that all inherently to me sounds like they'll be way more prepared than I was because I came in thinking like I had no power. Like I had to do this. Like if I didn't do this, the test scores would be trash and the test scores are trash. Our school will face repercussions. Then what would happen with our students? Like I just came in thinking like I just had to um, perform within the system versus challenge the system. So, yeah, I guess that'd be my answer. I don't think that's very concrete, but that's where I'm at. Yeah, it's interesting, man. Um, it, it's sort of an existential question, right? Like, can a, can a system be good at teaching its people to subvert itself? You know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, do, do we have many examples of that being a thing? Right. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, you're most vulnerable professionally at the you know, at the start of your career. So uh, it's it's you got to be strategic about, you know, pushing the envelope to an extent. Right. Just from a job security standpoint. So. Um, yeah, man. yeah. And honestly, there's also. You know, I have run across on more than one occasion some brand new folks who were like, saw themselves as super revolutionary. And I was like, dude, your class is a mess. Like, this is not, <laughs> this is not the revolution. This is chaos and disorder. And like, <laughs> nobody's learning anything. So like, just because you got Che and Malcolm on the wall, like, don't mean I can think you're, of some of those too. Yeah, your class is like about that revolution. So <laughs> there is some some balance that has to be struck in there. You know, I'm sure that was not your classroom, Dr. Rustin. No, it wasn't I, my but I, I uh, have <laughs> I have seen this classroom that you described. I have seen it at times and I've thought yeah. I don't know if that's actually a good thing that's happening there. I think yeah. they've convinced themselves it's a good thing, but Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do wonder what our AOTA family out there, um, those who are or have been classroom teachers. Uh, I do wonder what their thoughts are on like what they wish they would have gained from their teacher education program. Um, certainly, so definitely, folks who are who are listening, like let us know. Tap in. Like you heard, you heard what Jeff had to say. You heard what I had to say. So let us know what what do you wish you had learned in your teacher education program? And um, yeah, definitely look forward to hearing what what folks have to say. I think I could I could come up with a lot of other possible answers too but that that was the one that sort of sticks out because first year me man again students love me I love them it was great but like man I just feel like we really I really missed the opportunity um to show students that they are so much more than this freaking textbook and these freaking tests so so yeah yeah profound statement Dr. Rustin is as usual as usual um I think we have a second question we were going to explore together today. Uh, 
about um, kind. I guess sort of uh, the other side of the coin. I don't know if that's the appropriate analogy to use in this um, equation, but uh, sort of fast forwarding from our rookie days in the classroom and, and what we wish we had gotten to now being the wily veterans that we are, the, the grizzled, uh, <laughs> cold, bitter veterans that we Grizzled. Are. <laughs> Statuesque, uh, uh, un unemotional. Uh, <laughs> okay, I, I'll stop now. Uh, but being the people with, uh, you know, a couple decades-ish of experience uh, in the field at this point, what advice would we give to the next generation, the incoming generation of teachers about uh, you know, about what they should be doing, thinking, working on, keeping in mind um, as they transition into the profession. And especially at a time where, like, let's be real, it's it's tough to become a teacher right now. Uh, maybe it's always been tough, but it's like it's especially tough in this climate. Right. Um, and so. So, yeah, man. Well, what uh, what do you think about this this question? Yeah, well, advice to somebody entering the teaching profession nowadays, I guess uh, my advice would be uh, don't. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, man. We're trying to offer some hope to the people I kid, here. I kid. <laughs> I kid. I kid. Uh, somewhat. Somewhat. Um, yeah, man, it's tough, man. It's tough. So, yeah, what I, what I try to impart on new teachers, uh, certainly thinking back to myself as a new teacher, is to like – Really, really, uh, first of all, find your people, find your system of support, um, but also listen to the vets, man. Really listen. Like, I remember coming in and in my head, like, veteran teachers were always negative, always complaining. And I just had a very, like, they don't know what they're talking about or they know what they, you know, that's their experience, but that's not going to be mine. And, like, I had a mindset of, like, don't let the veterans destroy me, like, destroy my hope and my heart and my optimism. Um, so, you know, I really had that notion coming in. And I think that's, I think that's common with young people. You know what I'm saying? Like they think they got all the answers and they think their way's better and this and that, whatever. So I think a lot of young teachers probably uh, come in thinking that like they have the answers and us vets, when we complain about stuff, like we're not seeing it right, or we're just being negative, just, just to be negative. And I've come to learn like a lot of the, a lot of the um, criticisms that I remember hearing from, from vets when I was like, I remember my first staff meeting, my first one, uh, that I went to and some vets were like, yeah, you don't have to listen to this. Like it's, it's going to, it was like some kind of training, some kind of like new method of like reading instruction that they wanted us to do. And they, they, the vets literally told me, you don't have to listen to this. It's not going to, it's not going to stick around very long. And I was like, how dare they? Like, they're not even giving these presenters a chance. Like in my head, I was like, how dare they like not even give this, like not take this seriously. And yeah, that, that little reading strategy lasted maybe, maybe a year, if that, um, and it was gone. And when it came to like time and time again, the veterans will tell me like, yeah, we've seen this before. This was the problem. This is what's, what's going to end up happening. And they ended up being right. And I always told myself I didn't want to be that like negative veteran, that like veteran teacher who's complaining about everything. And I try not to be, but like so many things happen that I'm just like, are you kidding me? We tried this six years ago and this is how it went. And this was the challenge then. And this was, and I, and folks just look at me and then they move on. And I'm just like, they see me as that negative person. That's just complaining, just to complain when in reality, like I, 
I've legitimately experienced this exact thing that they're trying to do. And I'm laying out why it's not going to work the way they think it's going to work. And yet, you know, so I see myself sometimes falling into that, that mold of the, the negative veteran teacher. And I'm realizing like, wow, full circle. I told myself I wouldn't become this, but maybe this is actually real. Like maybe this actually is something that folks need to need to heed. So for the incoming or the younger teachers, man, seriously, like anybody that's been in the classroom or been in the profession for, um, for a minute, like tr their wisdom is valuable. Their wisdom is valuable. And, um, Definitely don't try to do it on your own. Definitely don't think that you have all the answers because like your way is going to be so cool and this and that, whatever, whatever. Like those vets around you, especially those who have good relationships with students, especially those whose classrooms are effective uh, spaces of learning, like really tap into them because um, that wisdom is not is really not valued and not treasured in our profession by and large. Yet it's like some of the realest stuff you're going to get. Uh, pure uncut stuff that you won't see necessarily in those reading materials or this and that cool thing that you're looking into because, um, yeah, man, it is a system. This is an institution here. We are agents of the state in many ways. And um, those who have endured it for a very long time and still find a way to make things happen, good things happen for students, tap into them, man, because um, that that is rare and precious knowledge right there. So that'd be my advice. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, I hear that, man. I, I, I do think uh, to some extent you gotta, you need to seek out those veteran uh, mentors, and you also have to make some strategic choices because yeah, everybody ain't righteous. Uh, I no, guess that is, is all, for sure. Is all I yeah. will say. <laughs> so some of those, uh, some of the young teachers with Malcolm and Che on the wall, become veteran teachers. <laughs> Who just complained? Um, now that is not the majority. That is not to disparage the whole profession. But I'm just saying, you know, you might need to like test the waters. You got to find Manuel Rustin. Okay, don't just find any any old person who's like, let me let me tell you how we how we can clock out at three twenty six p.m. every day on the docks and race home and never you know. Anyways, I'm gonna I'll just stop. But um, I hear what you're saying. Um, I think to this question of a word of advice uh, to new teachers, Manuel. I I would say, and th this is like simultaneously a global statement that's kind of saying everything, and also I mean this in kind of a specific way, which is invest in getting good at your craft. And um, I say that because our profession, the systems around you in our profession are not always very good at actually helping you get good at your craft. And there is a, there's a, there's a piece of teaching that is about personality, right? That is about just like presentation and charisma and connection with kids and that kind of thing, right? And I don't mean to disparage that at all, but there's also a ceiling if that's all you're bringing to the table, right? Like there, there's, a, there's an art and a science to teaching that does have to do with like your depth of knowledge about your own content and your, your, your willingness to be a continual learner about it yourself. There is a piece of, of being an effective teacher that is about 
your effectiveness as a curriculum developer, your effectiveness as someone who can develop an understanding of your students' learning and what they know and what they don't know and anticipate what their struggles are likely to be and plan ahead so that you help mitigate against lots of experiences where kids just feel failure or frustration, right? That can lead to disengagement or alienation. Um, you know, uh, understanding the, the relational currency that, that undergirds school, particularly school in, you know, in uh, our kind of context, right? Um, where respect for you as the teacher isn't really given because of position, right? Respect is given or earned because of credibility and relationship. And, um, and so there are actual things you need to do to, <laughs> to earn it. And there are, um, you know, things you need to do to be an effective teacher of your content and that kind of thing. And so in a world where you get, you know, 42 minutes a week to meet with your colleagues, right. And you get nowhere near enough time to plan yourself on a daily basis. And, you know, these kind of structural problems, I think I would say like, you got to figure out how you're going to invest yourself with the time and resources you have. And, and of course, in community with other educators, but how are you going to invest in yourself getting really good at your craft as quickly as you can? Um, and not only through just the kind of trial and error that happens by teaching every day, which is, which is an important source of learning, but, um, but you got to be like about your business, right. In terms of like, I, getting good at being a teacher and um, and knowing that like your students deserve that from you. And it's not just about effort, like effort's important, but it is also about results, you know? Um, and so there are some things that the system is not going to help you get good at, that you're going to have to figure out how to get good at on your own. And, and I think folks should go in like eyes wide open about that and even like excited and hungry about you know about that because there's there's so much like good learning that I did as an educator outside of any school professional development or outside of you know the sort of like standard stuff that probably had more to do with me being a good teacher than any organized school meeting or PD than I said it right um so so that's what I think I would say, man, like take, take our, our work seriously, invest in yourself, get good at your craft as quickly as you can. That will, that will transform your experience. You know, it will help you feel more successful. It'll help your kids feel more successful. And, um, you know, I think it, it has a lot to do with sustainability in the work. Yeah. Hell yeah. <clears throat> it's a hell of an investment too, because the better you get at your craft, a lot of the other, at least, you know, from my vantage point, Many of the other challenges um, get reduced a bit uh, as as you really get that that loving performing classroom space going and those great interactions with students, those great interactions with young folks, and just um, yeah, man, because nothing's worse than like really not being very good at it, and you got all the challenges on top of it, and it's it's young people, and young people can be a challenge if you don't know what you're doing. Um, yeah, that, that it'll chew you up and spit you out real quick. So definitely invest in your uh, in your craft and lifelong learning, especially now that the young people are changing so much more quickly than before as technology continues to shift and as the world continues to um, <laughs> move rapidly in directions that perhaps we didn't 
uh, anticipate before. And in part of that investing in your craft, I definitely would say is um, finding your, your people, finding your uh, fellow educators who um, share similar passions as you in terms of um, what you want to see out of, out of your, your work as a profession and really tapping into them and don't, don't just stay in your own little silo, your own little bubble. So, um, you know, Educolor, um, there's Discord servers out there. There's all kinds of networks. There's all kinds of connections between teachers across campuses and across states. So uh, definitely find your good people, people that you you see are are in it for the right reasons. And um, yeah, tap in, tap in. Don't try to figure it all out on yourself. And that goes back to what I was saying about like, you know, tap in with the veterans, the the good veterans. So like the ones that who you see are, are um you know, offering really uh, dope humanizing classroom experiences for their students, like the ones that are, um, that seem to be doing um, a good job. Definitely tap into them and, and listen to their wisdom. Cause like I said, it's a uh, precious stuff there, precious stuff. So yeah. All right. These old grizzled, grizzled veterans with their podcast have to get on about their day. Cause uh, our official, our official college sports team, college, uh, Hoops team of the AOTA podcast is uh, going to play in a couple hours. So, um, yeah, Jeff, anything else before we get up out of here today? Uh, Johnny Jusang for MVP. That's all I got to say. <laughs> say save me, Johnny. <laughs> I, I, need, I need more points hey. today, man. Don't yeah, man. bust my bracket. <laughs> for sure. Man, the whole squad, man. Jaime Jaquez, Bernard. We got to see something better from yeah. Bernard uh, this time around. The whole squad, man. Yeah. Everybody. Jaquez this ain't no sports right podcast. but round. He was all right. But he was about the only one that was all right. The rest of them need to, need to remember last year and come bring it today. <laughs> it, can't they just do the same thing they did last year? Why does this have to be hard? This, yeah. Just repeat the same success. <laughs> Anyways, um, all right, folks. So that about does it for this week's passing period. And next week, we'll have a full episode of all of the above coming your way with some headlines about uh, school funding and about uh, juvenile school facilities and some other stuff and a super dope guest, Dr. Eric Tashalis. And um, also going to talk a little bit a little bit at the end about um, some dope stuff happening at UCLA, speaking of UCLA, with regards to their uh, housing. So yeah, you don't want to miss next week's episode. So definitely, if you haven't already subscribed and done all that good stuff, do that, all right? Um, as always, aotashow.com or scroll beneath this podcast for links to um, all the ways you could tap in with us and let us know what your thoughts are about what you wish you would have learned in your teacher ed program or what advice you might have for folks entering the profession. Uh, so yeah, find all the ways to um, contact us and hit us up uh, down beneath this, this episode here. So that's it for this week's passing period. We love y'all. Now get to class.